John wants us to know who Jesus is. He wants us to get a picture of him. And so he writes in his gospel that he's going to give us the stories, to give us a picture of who Jesus is, so that we might believe in him and have life in his name. That's the hope. That's his purpose. And John says at the end of the gospel that he couldn't include every story, because if he included everything that Jesus did, the books of the world would not be able to contain it. So he has to narrow down. And when you know that, it might seem a little strange that John tells us in chapter 2, the very beginning of it, about Jesus being at a wedding and turning water into wine. And then John chapter 2, at the end of it, telling us the story of Jesus going into the temple and being upset at what he sees, making a whip, and driving all of the animals out. That's what we're about to read. But John is giving us these stories for a very particular reason. Imagine this with me. Imagine that you are going to your 25th high school reunion, and you were taking your spouse, who doesn't know any of your friends from high school, didn't know you in high school, and when you get to the reunion, your friends that you were friends with in high school, that you were so tight with, you ran together with, you got in trouble with, they say to your spouse, boy, have we got some stories for you. What's the fear that you feel in that moment, right? What are they going to say? What stories are they going to pass on about me? And you know that your friends aren't telling your spouse, listen, we want to tell you about the time that we had a book report, and he or she did the book report and turned it in on time and got a B. Those aren't the kind of stories they tell, because those are just normal, everyday class stories. They're going to tell the story about the prank that you pulled, or the time that you should have got arrested, but you didn't, and you got away with it, or the time that you did that thing that you really don't want me to mention. Because they're trying to portray you as this extreme version that maybe your spouse doesn't know. When John tells us the story of Jesus' life, he's not trying to give us some extremely skewed version of just some particular events. He's trying to give us the full spectrum of who Jesus is. And John chapter 2 gives us these two opposite ends of the spectrum. Beginning, Jesus is at a wedding and he turns water into wine so that everyone at the wedding has wine to drink. That is generous. The end, Jesus at the temple pushing all of these people out because he doesn't like what they're doing. This is Jesus being savage. But all of these aspects of Jesus' character give us a picture of who he is. And as we sang earlier, we want, us, we want him to show us who he is. And that's what Jesus is doing through this passage of Scripture. And so if you would pick up reading with me in John chapter 2 and verse 13, and we're going to see this latest story of Jesus' life and get to know another aspect of him. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, or it was near. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's what the Jews did at Passover. They all went up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover there at the temple. So he's doing what's customary. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge or a whip of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. When his disciples saw this, they remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? 
Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in the building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? They're saying it took us 46 years to build this temple. And actually, they weren't even completely done with it yet. You ever had a project like that at your house that it took 46 years and you're still not done? Right? <laughs> That's where they were at with the temple. Um, and they're like, you're, you're telling us you can do it in three days? What? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. That sounds like good news, right? People saw the miracles that he did and they were excited. But I want you to really hear these next two verses, okay? But Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. People started believing in Jesus, but he did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in the heart of men. We're going to get there in a little bit. That is heavy to hear that. Last week I told you that the beginning of John chapter 2, the passage where Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding, that a lot of people bring that passage up to me because they want to justify their drinking. People often bring up this story of Jesus' life when they want to justify what? Their anger, right? When they have lost control, they've lost their temper, and they're like, well, Jesus, I mean, he threw tables over, right? I mean, he got a whip and whipped people. Jesus gets angry, right, Pastor Daniel? I can get angry. There's a couple things I want you to notice about this, all right? Jesus doesn't lose his temper like you and I think about losing our temper, right? When you and I lose our temper, like everything goes red, right? And like three minutes later, we're like, what did I say? What horrible things did I do? Who was that person that came out of me? That's not what happened for Jesus here. Because the passage tells us that he didn't do these things until first he had made a little scourge of cords. In other words, Jesus took the time to go get some cords so that he could fashion a whip. And then using the whip, he drives everyone out. Now, Jesus doesn't whip anyone, but he uses the whip to drive all of the animals out of the temple courtyards. He uses the whip to get everyone to leave. He throws over the money tables. That way they will leave, but he doesn't take anyone's money. And then did you notice that the sellers of doves, that instead of throwing their stuff, he tells them, get this stuff out of here. Now, why is that? Because you can't whip birds in a cage, and you can't throw the cages, because if the bird gets hurt or the cages break, the birds escape. And so what Jesus did didn't cause anybody harm or loss. Jesus didn't hurt anyone. He didn't cause anybody to lose anything. He was just moving them out of the temple. So what Jesus experiences here is righteous indignation. And there's a big difference between righteous indignation and losing our temper, right? Losing our temper is when we, we lose control and we do things that we shouldn't. 
Righteous indignation is not that. Righteous indignation is not losing control and doing the wrong thing. Righteous indignation is taking control and making things that are wrong to be right. It's righting wrongs. That's what Jesus does here. He takes control and he takes something that is wrong and he makes it right. And when Jesus does this, the disciples remember a passage of Scripture, which is actually Psalm 69, where David is writing about how all of his enemies are turning on him. And he says, the reason they're turning on me is because I've been so passionate for the Lord. Because I've been passionate for God, I've been passionate for his people, I've been passionate for the temple, they are turning on me. And so in verse 17, it tells us that they remembered Psalm 69.9, which says, the zeal for thine house hath eaten me up. That's what verse 17 says, if you look at it. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus was passionate for the house of God, like David was passionate for the house of God. Now, I know that this might seem a little off to be telling to the people who showed up to church on Memorial Day weekend, but we need a zeal for God's house. We need to have a passion for God's place, the place where he meets with people, God's people that he takes on mission. And right now, we live in an age of church shopping. Are you familiar with what church shopping is? It's when you go looking for a church that has all of the stuff that you really want, right? How many of you are a fan of that show on TV, House Hunters, right? If you're not familiar with House Hunters, House Hunters is basically where couples who seem to make no money have budgets of $500,000 to spend on a house that has all these specific things that they want. And when you watch the show, you just, you really have a hard time liking these people because they're like, I don't like that house because the color of this. And I'm just like, you know, you can paint that, right? Like, what? <laughs> but people approach church that way. And they're looking for the church that meets their specific needs, that has the exact things that they want. The coffee is just to their liking, and it's served just the right temperature, and the seats and the pews or whatever are just the way that they like to sit, and it's comfortable, and the music is to their liking, and they keep shopping until they find one that meets their needs. And can I tell you what my experience has been in 13 years as pastor with church shoppers? They never find what they're looking for. They never find the church they're looking for. So now what we have in our age, this is a new, a new thing, a new phenomenon that's happening. And I, I like the term that Carrie Newhoff gave this. We live in an age now where there are so many options and so many churches offering so many service times in different venues with different types of music that lots of people, they'll belong to multiple churches. And I use the term belong there very loosely They'll go to this church's service, and the next week they'll go to that church's service, and they'll see what this church is talking on this weekend, and they'll go to that one. Carrie Newhoff said this is like church surfing. We're just going to go to whoever is speaking to the need that we're feeling right now. And that's not what God has called us to be. That's not what God's house is to be about. And so in an age of church shopping and church surfing, Jesus' zeal for the house is important. It's important that he gives us this example because this is not about us. This is not about what we want. And I want you to notice what he says at the end of verse 16 when he tells the sellers of the turtle doves to take their stuff out. He says at the end of verse 16, he says, Take these things hence, make not 
my father's house a house of what? Merchandise. Make not my father's house a house of merchandise. Now, there are very few churches in our, in our culture today where you go and they've got things for sale in the foyer like they do at Target. But they're still houses of merchandise because they're just trying to give consumer goods to customers. In Jesus' day, they were providing these oxen and these sheep and these doves. And you're like, why were they selling livestock at the temple? Well, the reason they were selling livestock at the temple was because they used livestock in their worship. When they came to the temple for Passover, they offered animal sacrifices for the confession of their sin. And so they would come to celebrate Passover, and a family would offer a lamb as a sacrifice, and the father would lay his hand on the head of the lamb, and it was to be this picture of the sins of the family being placed upon that lamb, and the lamb is taking the punishment for their sin. If families didn't have enough to spend that much on a lamb, they could buy a dove instead. And there were also sacrifices that were required for oxen to be offered. These would be offered for the people. And all of these animals, they would have been needed so that you could come in and offer the sacrifices that you needed to offer. Now at Passover time, people are traveling, just like Jesus did, from a very long ways. All right? And they've got to get to the temple to offer the sacrifice. And it is not convenient to carry your goat or your lamb or your ox or your dove with you. When I moved to Chandler, I moved from the city into a rural community, and I realized just how rural it was when one day sitting in the parsonage right over here, I looked out the window and I saw Linda Spencer chasing a cow through her yard. Linda's working in toddler worship this morning during this service. And she'll be in the 11 o'clock so I can pick on her then. But I got out and I went and I helped her with some of her family. And we tried to corral this cow that they had at the house because they were trying to nurse it. That was not easy. And so getting to worship, getting to church, bringing the goat or the cow, some of you, it's a, it's a struggle to get your toddler here, right? If you were to take a cow, it would be really difficult. So it was a matter of convenience that when you got to the temple, right there in the courtyard is everything that you need. And Jesus wasn't opposed to this. There was actually, there were some principles and guidelines that were laid out for the purchase of these things. The issue was that they had taken that marketplace that might have been out in the city and they had moved into the prime real estate of right in the temple. Because who's going to sell the cows the most than the guy who's right there in the temple? And what they had done is they had made the temple, instead of this place of worship and offer a sacrifice, they had made it like the mall on the Saturday before Christmas. It was just craziness. All these people buying and selling. And because people would travel from very far, they had different types of currency. So they would say, I'm sorry, I can't take your currency, but those people over there will exchange your money at a decently favorable rate. And so people are making hand over money hand over fist because they're selling the goats and they're also charging a fee to change the currency. And Jesus walks in and he says, this is all about making money. This is all about doing what's convenient. And the people loved it even though it was to charge them, but it was convenient. And what consumer Christianity does is it looks for the easiest way for us to get the religious or spiritual goods that we want 
with as little of an investment of our time, resources, effort as possible. That's what consumer Christianity is. And what they've done is they had made it as easy as possible for people to get their spiritual goods, to get the animals they needed for sacrifice, and come in, do their thing, and then go about the rest of the Passover feast. Can I tell you that what we're doing this morning is not easy? To put on worship services like we did, it is not easy. There were volunteers that were here before 8.30 this morning getting things ready and lined up so that we could have service, going over the music, working on all of this. And when we went to two services, we looked at Memorial Day weekend as a weekend like, maybe we should just do one on Memorial Day weekend. Because Memorial Day weekend is typically our lowest attended Sunday of the year. And that was something that we, we kind of wrestled with over the last couple of months. But we felt like we needed to do two services. And our volunteers have stepped up big time to make it happen again this Sunday, even though they have their own family obligations and commitments. Why? Not because it was convenient or efficient, but because we felt it would be effective. And true Christianity doesn't search for what's convenient. It searches for what is effective to give God glory and to reach the lost. What did we sing earlier? God, fill my heart that I may go out to those around me. That's what this is about. What was the temple to be about? What was the temple for? They were to come there to do what? To give God glory for saving them from Egypt. That's what the Passover was. It was a celebration of God rescuing them out of Egypt. It's to give God glory for what he's done. And what did I tell you that lamb sacrifice was about? Why did the father place his hand on the head of that lamb? Because it was for the remission of sins. It was a recognition that, God, I need you to forgive me of my sins. What this is about right here is giving God glory and people having their sins forgiven. That's what this is about. It's about that. And if we are not careful, we very easily make this about us. And we make church just another house of merchandise. And we've got Aldi. And we got Ruler Foods, and for those of you that are fancy, we got Schnooks, where we go and we get our grocery stuff. And if we're not careful, we think of this place as the, the spot where we come to get our church stuff, to get our spiritual stuff. You got Walmart and Menards and Meyer and Target to get your house stuff. If we're not careful, we start to think of churches where we get our heart stuff. That's not what this is. It's not a house of merchandise. This is not a place for you to come and get your stuff. This is a mission. We're on a mission here. We're making a difference. We're reaching people. We're impacting lives. It's about what happened last Sunday when seven people wanted to go public with what Jesus is doing in their hearts and lives. And for those seven people, for each of those seven people, there's a whole group of more that are out here in our community that need Jesus, that need their sins taken off of their account and placed on the account of the Lamb. Today's, this is Memorial Day weekend. We have Memorial Day weekend, not so that we can have a Monday off of work. We have Memorial Day weekend because there are some things we need to remember. We need to remember that the freedoms we enjoy in this country were purchased at a price, at a sacrifice. We're able to enjoy a day at the beach because there were some guys who stormed the beach who made the ultimate sacrifice. We need to remember, what was Passover about? Passover was about remembering that God saved them. They were slaves in Egypt. 
And God saved them. Made it possible for them to be free, live in the land of milk and honey. What's this about? What's this about? This is about remembering when God saved us out of our slavery and sin. That's what this is about. So when Jesus walks into the, into the temple and he sees that they have made it a fair, a bazaar, they've made it the mall, they've made it convenient, they've made it easy, it's like you're missing it. You are missing it. And then look what happens next. They come to him and they're like, what are you doing? Now, by all earthly standards, Jesus didn't have authority to do this. He wasn't a temple leader. He wasn't a member of the Sanhedrin. He wasn't a Levite. He was just a guy. And who did he think he was? Now, obviously, we know that this is his father's house. And this is all about him. But for the temple leaders, they're like, you need to show us some credentials that you can be doing this. And they say, what sign will you show us of these things that you're doing? Now, this book is all about signs. Remember, John said, I'm going to give you the stories that give you signs that lead you to believe. They're going to point to belief in Jesus. And John gives us seven specific signs that Jesus accomplishes. The water turning into wine was one of them. But while John gives us seven signs in this book, Jesus won't give a sign to these religious leaders. They say, well, show us a sign. And Jesus says, no, I'll give you a sign. Tear down this temple, and in three days, I'll build it back up. And they're like, what? Is that a riddle? What are you talking about? You're going to tear down the temple? Not only are you going to run everybody out of it, you're going to destroy it? It's like a threat. And actually, these words that Jesus uses right here, they would throw back at him in his trial. When he's arrested and tried, they would say, this man threatened to tear down the temple, and he claimed that he could rebuild it in three days. They would use that against him. And they're offended at what Jesus has done, and they're offended at what Jesus has said. But in reality, they're the ones that have desecrated the temple. They're the ones that have made it a marketplace. They're the ones that have made it a place where consumers can get goods. And by the way, when Matthew tells us this story, he tells us that Jesus says, stop making my father's house, not just a marketplace, but a den of thieves. Why is that? Because when you've got consumers, it is good money providing consumers. That's why there's no shortage of guys on TV asking for money. Because if they can give some spiritual feel-good, they will rake in the money. They will rake in the money. And so when it's all about a consumer good, all about getting what it is that you want, getting what will help you feel better, get what will appeal to your greed, or make you think that because I'm giving this, God's going to give me more, it gives an opportunity for thieves to come in and take advantage and take money from people. So these guys are offended at what Jesus has done, but they're the ones that are raking in money over exchange rates and selling stuff in the temple. And they want nothing to do with the Son of God. Now here, I, I need you to stick with me over this next point. But I think if you get it, it, it'll be so helpful, okay? The greatest desecration of the house of God is a lack of zeal for the Son of God. The greatest desecration to the house of God is a lack of zeal for the Son of God. 
The greatest desecration that we could bring to the church is if we came in here and we didn't care about Jesus. We only cared about us. We only wanted what we want. We made it about us. Now, how many of you remember when uh, this happened? We, we, our church was tagged with graffiti a couple of years ago. Now, this is actually the picture of our church shed. It was the day after we had done a dynamite night event where we had the inflatable T-Rex costume, had all these families come in. And the next morning, I came to the church to get something, and this had been spray-painted on our shed. Um, I mean, just incredible artwork. Beautiful, <laughs> amazing. <clears throat> we were actually one of four locations in Chandler that had been tagged that night. Uh, Kemper's Market on State Street had been tagged. Uh, a school bus had been tagged. Our church shed, and then a shed in Pinecrest. And actually, what, what the police did is they actually followed the graffiti, and it l gave them a trail to the person's house that did it. And when they got there, the person still had spray paint on their fingers. So it was kind of an open and shut case. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that we got that off in about five minutes with a product that cost us $15 from Lowe's. And so it was no problem to fix this. Thankfully, they had done it on metal that was really new. It came off so easily. If they'd done it to brick, it would have been a much different thing. And so, I mean, within the day, this problem was fixed. But I posted this picture online and up to that point, it was the most shared thing that we had ever put online. I just posted this and said, if anybody knows, we'd appreciate info. And I wasn't mad. I didn't, wasn't trying to like rain fire on anybody. I wasn't about to make a whip or turn any tables over or anything like that. I just wanted to know what happened. And because we posted that, then people began to string along all of these places in the path. But it was amazing what happened over the next 24 hours. People in the community were upset about this. People that I hadn't seen in years shared this and said, if anybody knows any information about who vandalized my church, let me know. And I was like, thanks, bro, for sharing that. We would love to see you on a Sunday sometime, you know. And people were, like, upset. It's like somebody has, that's, that's a special place. I don't go there ever, but it's special. And what happens is we have this idea in our minds that like this address or this location or this building is special and it's sacred and, and, and it matters and people shouldn't challenge it. And we feel that way even when we don't know why this matters. A really similar thing happened in France last month. We all watched together as the cathedral at Notre Dame burned. And as it burned, people were brokenhearted. They were upset that this is burning down. We're going to show you a picture of that. And what was amazing about everybody, you know, posting about this and upset about this, people who were not religious at all were brokenhearted about what was happening. Because to them, the cathedral was art and culture. And it was something that was special. And it was a tourist attraction in France. They were able to put the fire out. A good portion of the building was saved. And they're currently taking designs on how they can rebuild it. And the, the lack of understanding about what the purpose of the building has become really, really clear in some of the designs that have been submitted. My favorite one is an architect has submitted a design where the entire roof can become a pool. You can go ahead and show that one. 
Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and no, we are not doing that here, all right? <laughs> there are a lot of people that are like, man, the church is special, and, and, and it should be respected, and they don't really know why. And the greater desecration of God's house is not somebody puts graffiti on it or catches fire. The greatest desecration of God's house is when we make it about us. And so when these guys come to Jesus and they say, show us a sign, and Jesus won't give it to them, what's that about? Jesus doesn't give them a sign because he knows what they need more. And Jesus will not give you what you want if it gets in the way of what you need. Jesus will not give you what you want if it gets in the way of what you need. If you're a parent, you know what this is about. I know you want a cookie, but dinner is in 30 minutes, so you need to eat supper first. I know you want to stay up, but you need to go to bed because you have school tomorrow. I'm not going to give you what you want because I want you to have what you need. And Jesus doesn't give them a sign because all that would be was just them coming to Jesus and say, show us another trick. Do something else. Do something incredible. Show me something, Jesus. And we fall into the same trap all the time. Jesus, give me something. Help me out with this. Fix this problem. Make me feel better. And genie just becomes this genie. This Jesus becomes this genie that we come to when we need something, we want something. And Jesus will not be that for you because that will get in the way of what you really need. And so the greatest desecration to the house of God is a lack of zeal for the Son of God. That's that point. That's what I'm trying to drive home here. And when Jesus walked in and saw that they had made this all about consumerism, and they'd made it all about buying the things you want, they'd made it all about convenience, what he saw is this is the house of God, and it's no longer about God. It's not about my Father. It's not about remembering how he saved these people. It's not about remembering that they need remission of their sins. And that was the greater desecration. And when we make this about us, we desecrate the house of God. When we come in just looking for what it is that I want right now, We come in and we say, I, I, want, I want this, or I'd like for it to be like this, and it's all about me, me, me. That's a desecration of the house of God. Because the purpose is not about us. It's about honoring Him and bringing those that are far from Him near. In that passage in Matthew where Jesus says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves, what He actually says is, my Father's house is to be a house of prayer for all people. It's to be a house of prayer for all people. God's house is to be about Him and reaching those that are far from Him. That's what this is about. So those last verses, where there are people who believe, but Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus can see what is in them. Jesus can see that they're coming to him for what they want, not because he is the Son of God. They're coming to him because of what they can get, because they can get spiritual goods, spiritual stuff, but they're not coming to him because it's all about him. 
Jesus knows their hearts. Now, some of us, we're not so good at discerning, right? We don't do a really good job of understanding what people are really about. We just look at your list of X's, and we know that you're not good at judging people. But Jesus knows, and he looks at their hearts, and he can see. And we come into God's house, you might be able to fool me. You might be able to make me think that you're all about Jesus, but Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And this passage is is scary, and it's heavy. If Jesus does not commit himself unto them because he knows what is in the heart of man, he needed no one to testify to him. He needed no one to show him what was in the heart of man. He knew. And so when people come to him and they're they're, they're amazed by him and he does not commit himself to them because he knows what they're really there for, it's because he knew them. But hear this, okay? Jesus knows your heart. He knows everything about you. And he's passionate for you. You know how I know that? Because when Jesus walked in the temple and he saw that they had made it a marketplace, he knew the leader's hearts. He knew the hearts of those Pharisees and those Sanhedrin and those priests that were going to come and question him. He knew their hearts, but he cleansed the temple anyway. And that was grace. And when Jesus cleanses the temple, that's grace. Because he's helping us remove all of the things that distract us from God. Remove all of the things that take our focus from where it should be. And when Jesus comes into your life and he is savagely removing sin and convicting you of sin and laying his hand on things in your heart and your life that you know shouldn't be there, he is removing all of the things that take the focus off of him. And he's so passionate for you that he cleanses your temple with the destruction of his own. He cleanses your life by destroying his own, by giving up his own. They say, give us a sign. And Jesus doesn't give them a sign, but he points to the very last sign, the seventh sign in the Gospel of John, which is when Jesus dies and his temple is destroyed and three days it is built again. He's pointing to the end when Jesus would give up his temple so our temple could be cleansed, when Jesus would give up his life so that our lives could be saved. And Jesus will ruthlessly work to remove everything in your life that takes your focus off of him because that's what you really need. And it may even look look like him taking away some things you want. So you finally realize what you need. Let's bow our heads for a word.